You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Last week, uh, um, uh, John reminded us this morning in his testimony, we've been talking about multiplication over the last little while. And last week, we talked about going to the ends of the earth. Um, we, we looked at the call to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we have a few teams going to different places this year. Um, and we said this last week, but I want to remind you again, we have some expression of interest forms. If you are interested in being a part of one of those teams, they are on the welcome desk. Otherwise, you can, if you would like more information, you can also email admin at melbournelightschurch.com.au. Sam is back from his holiday in Europe. Welcome home, Sammy. And he will reply to your email promptly. Also welcome home, Bethany and Michaela. We have missed you guys. Anyone else that's been away, but just uh, Sam works in the office, and as Elodie was saying last week, we realized um, again how much of a blessing he is, but also how much he does. And so it's nice to have you back. When we were talking about going to the ends of the earth last week, um, I mentioned in, in one of the points, Isaiah chapter 6, where the Lord says to Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? But I want to unpack Isaiah chapter 6 a little bit more this morning. So would you open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 6? And as we're going there, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, there we go. I realized again lately, and I've just been pondering this, the importance of celebrating what God does. To celebrate what he's doing. Our, our thankfulness and our gratitude as followers of Jesus and as believers is such a key to the experience of his presence and coming into all that he has for us. It's so easy in our culture to get focused on the negative, the lack, the issues, the economy, the things that we're facing. And I want to encourage us again as a church. We need to celebrate every victory, every advancement, everything God does. Don't get stuck in this, um, this, this thing of critiquing what God's doing, but celebrate what God's doing. You, you know, we can celebrate who people are without tripping up over who they're not. Just so you know, I'm not perfect, and neither are you. I hope you can, even this morning, you can celebrate who, who I am and what God's saying without tripping up over who I'm not. Can we, be, as a people, can we celebrate what God's doing? Because I think there's something of gratitude and thankfulness and honor that releases the presence of God in our lives. I think we have to celebrate every salvation, every baptism, every healing. I mean, we heard testimonies of radical healing. We, we don't want to be a people who are indifferent to that. Like, oh, yeah, good. Good job. That's nice. No, I mean, honestly, heaven is celebrating. we got to make much of that. Every infilling of the Holy Spirit, every life that's changed, every marriage that's restored, every person that's set free. Can I say every step of obedience? Can we celebrate the steps of obedience, even if it doesn't result in what we think it should look like? I want to celebrate those who came out on the streets with us last Sunday. Even if you didn't see any salvations or, or any, whatever you expected, the step of obedience to saying, yes, I'm going to come. Yes, I'm going to go. Yes, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. The Lord celebrates that, and we should celebrate that as well. Let's celebrate every person who encounters his presence, every team that's sent, every yes to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The world needs to hear us rave about Jesus Christ and what he's doing. 
They need to hear the good news of the gospel, the testimony of Jesus, what he's doing on the earth right now because he's moving in power. What they don't need is our critique of what he's doing in other places. You know what? You don't have to define what revival is, what an outpouring is, what an awakening is. Just celebrate what God is doing. Don't get caught up in criticizing. Rave about who he is. Rave about him. We serve a God who is alive and is powerful. And when we rave about what he's doing, he's released to do more in our midst. Jesus left us, I love this, with the enduring command and the empowering to see it fulfilled. Go and make disciples. And do it in the power of my spirit. It's not just go and make disciples, now figure it out on your own. I'm going to empower you with my very presence, my very spirit, to see this job done. It hasn't changed. The world needs to hear us raving about Jesus. Not just talking about him, but praising him, uh, testifying about him, expressing who he is, showing his love to others. That was a full sidetrack. I don't know why I got on a thing. In all we, thank you, John. <laughs> the rest of you guys awake this morning. Are you there? You're right. In all we do, mission, discipleship, going to the nations, worship, we're first and foremost here for the king. Let's never miss that point that it starts with the king. It starts with Jesus. I think the most revealing thing about the church is what we say about Jesus. Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? Before we go on mission, before we go to the ends of the earth, before we step out and we even go share with our neighbors, before we come to worship, before anything else, we have to answer this question, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? We have to be captivated afresh and anew by our king every day. What people say about Jesus reveals our hearts, and it either points people to him or away from him. Without a personal relationship and revelation of who he is, without this ongoing intimacy, we only have religion. We tick a box, but we have no power. When it comes to following Christ, when it comes to making disciples, when it comes to worshiping him and mission and multiplication, it has to be born out of relationship and a revelation of who Jesus is. We found Isaiah chapter 6. We should read this. Isaiah chapter 6. It's one of my favorite um, scriptures. And the, if, if you read the first six chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah um, is one of the prophets. And he has an interesting, the first six chapters are quite um, down. I'm say it that way. It, like, the first six chapters are basically like, woe is everyone. Woe to you, you wicked people. I mean, it's like kind of like, he's looking at all the problems. He sees the, the, the brokenness and the sin. I mean, this is a long time ago, but it could have been written to us. Because we often look around us and see the brokenness and the problems and the sin and the, the, the stuff. And the world is no different. It's still broken. It's still sinful, it's still gross, and it still needs Jesus. He says, oh, you're a wicked people, woe to you. You're unfaithful, woe to you. God's going to judge you, woe to you. Uh, the first six chapters is all like the negative and what's wrong. Um, and to be honest, 
There's some Christians today who sound a little bit like Isaiah in the first six chapters. Do you know anyone that's all about woe to you and the world's going to end and it's discussed? It's like focused on all the wrong things. But then Isaiah has this vision. I love, I love it because there's a shift that takes place. Can we read from verse 1 to 8? It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I had a revelation of the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Or may his glory fill the whole earth. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am, I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal. They'd taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away. Your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, go and say this to the people. There's a commissioning that takes place. What did Isaiah see in this revelation? Firstly, he had a revelation of Jesus the king. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We must have a personal revelation of the king. You can't live on somebody else's revelation of Jesus. You can't live on your parents' revelation of Jesus or your spouse's revelation of Jesus or your uh, discipleship group leader's revelation of Jesus. We have to have a personal revelation of Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, make disciples, pray for the sick, lead our families, stand up against the decay of society, which is happening, we have to have a personal revelation of the king upon the throne. If we're going to stand firm in the midst of storms and trials, if we're going to take new regions, if we're going to go to the nations, we have to have a revelation of Jesus the King. I, I love this. Isaiah didn't say, I see the church seated on a throne. He didn't say, I see the leader seated upon the throne. I see Apostle Paul seated upon the throne. No, he said, I saw the King. I saw the Lord. We just saw in Matthew 16, Jesus says to Peter that it's on his revelation of who Jesus is that he'll build his church. It starts with a revelation of the king. It doesn't start with the church. It doesn't start with gifts. It doesn't start with apostles, prophets, evangelists. It starts with Jesus. It's, it starts with him, and it ends with him, and it's all about him. And from that place, he builds his church. And from him, he gives gifts. And from having a revelation of who he is, he commissions us to go. It's the revelation of Jesus that fuels our worship and our obedience. If you struggle to worship when we come together, if you struggle to worship in your own time, you don't need to just listen to more songs you need to say, Jesus, give me a revelation of who you are. Because when you see him, how can we not worship him? 
when we have a revelation of who he is and we see his glory, we're undone. And we can't help but worship. We have to have this ongoing revelation of the king for ourselves. Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw the king seated upon the throne. He saw the sovereignty of God. He saw that he's supreme ruler. He's the king. He's the one with authority. He's seated on the throne. He saw his glory. Angels are worshiping Jesus right now in heaven. You know that whenever we worship, we get to join the host of heaven. I mean, think about, ponder that when we worship, that actually, you know, we, we have this, this little voice that we're adding, but it's the host of heaven that we get to join with. There's angels around the throne, there's clouds of witnesses that are worshiping and saying, he's holy, he's worthy, he's glorious. Verse 3 says, the whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4 says, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. When it says, talks about smoke in the Bible, it often represents the glory of the Lord. When they dedicated the temple, it says that, that a cloud came and filled, and that there was the weight of his glory was so heavy that they couldn't even stand to worship him. And they saw his holiness. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Honestly, we could stop right there and just worship. Just worship. He's the Lord. He's the King. He's seated on the throne. He's glorious. He's holy. He's worthy of all praise and all adoration. That should fuel our worship. I hope that fuels our worship tonight as we worship. I hope that fuels your worship every day. If you struggle in worship, grab this and read it. Every time we come to worship. And then go to Revelations 4 and Revelations 5 and read about the worship around the throne room. And read that and let it transform you as you see something of who Jesus is. As you see the throne room of heaven. As you see something of his glory. How can we not worship? As I had this revelation of Jesus the King. Then he realizes from that place who he is. Firstly, he saw Jesus, the king, and secondly, he saw himself. He changes from the first five chapters of woe is you to suddenly after seeing the glory of God saying, woe is me. Verse 5 says, and I said, woe is me for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. In the face of a revelation of Jesus Christ, Isaiah suddenly saw his inadequacies. He saw his brokenness. See, if we don't have an ongoing revelation of Jesus, we can begin to see ourselves, as the Bible says, more highly than we ought. Pride can begin to slip in. We see ourselves as better than we are, and we, we easily begin to minister or to lead with an attitude of pride, an attitude of self-righteousness, an attitude of I can do this myself. But when we see him, we realize our own brokenness and our own inadequacy. We realize our need for him. We realize afresh that we can do nothing without him. And how dare we try? People need to see Jesus. They need to encounter his presence. Because it's only when they encounter his presence that we realize our need for repentance. You can't argue somebody into following Jesus. If I can argue you into following Jesus, somebody else can argue you, argue you out of following Jesus. 
It's not just an argument of who has better facts. When we see him, when we encounter his presence and we see his glory, there's something that happens where we go, oh my goodness, I become so aware of my brokenness and my need for repentance that I can't do this without him. Suddenly from the place of encountering his presence, I'm aware of my sinfulness and aware that I need Jesus. When we go on the street and we preach to people, we often say, can I pray for you? Why? Because they need to encounter his presence. We don't just need to stand there and argue with them for 20 minutes. They need to experience who he is. Because when they experience who he is, suddenly we go, oh my gosh, I need, I need him. I need him. I'm broken. And often we know our brokenness, but we're really good at hiding it. We're really good at pushing it down, covering it up. We have to see him. And when, we, when people encounter his presence, they realize the need for repentance. In John 16, verse 8, Jesus says, It's the Holy Spirit who, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Think about that. Often, I think, as Christians, we feel like it's our responsibility to convict people of their sin. Think about that for a little while. We like to focus on the woe is you. Woe is the world. Oh, look at all the sin around us. It actually says it's the Holy Spirit whose job it is that when he comes, he will convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So how do we partner with him in this thing of seeing the kingdom extended and multiplication? We don't convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We bring the presence of God. We bring the Spirit of God so that people, when they encounter him, are convicted of their sin, that they need Jesus' righteousness, and without that, that they're going to face judgment. To each is given a time. It's only when we encounter the person and presence of Jesus that we're convicted of sin, the woe is me, and we turn to him. That's why we cry out for an outpouring of the Spirit. You might say, why do we cry out for an outpouring of the Spirit? Because people need to encounter his presence. And can I just make a comment, and for some of you guys, you might, you might go, I don't know what you're talking about, but if you're judging other outpourings of the Spirit that are happening around the world, you're missing the heart of God. You don't have to define it, you don't have to agree with it, but you have to celebrate it, because if God's doing something and people are encountering his presence, then who are we to judge? In Acts chapter 5, there's a, there's a man called G Gamma Male, uh, something like that. G how do you say Gamaliel. Anyone with, that can pronounce words better than me want to say his name? Thanks, the guy. Anyways, what's happening is that, that Christianity is breaking out. Spirit's moving. People are getting saved. Jews are converting to Christianity. They see all this stuff happening, and it says that they were, they were so angry that they wanted to kill him. And this man with a name that I cannot pronounce... Mr. G. He says, hang on a second. He says, if this is not of the Lord, it will stop. But woe to us if it is of the Lord and we speak against it. Woe to us 
If God's doing things and moving, and in our hearts, we speak against it. In our comments on social media, in our judging, we cry out for an outpouring of the Spirit. But God will not pour His Spirit out in our context if we're not willing to celebrate what He's doing in other contexts and honor what He's doing in other places. He saw Jesus the King, and then He saw Himself and then from that place he saw others. He says in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. See, when we see Jesus in his glory, we see ourselves. And we go, wow, I need you, Lord. I need you. Set me free. Bring freedom to me. Use me, Lord. We're aware of our nakedness and our brokenness, like Adam and Eve in the garden. And when we see ourselves, then we see others. We're aware of the people around us who are desperate for a Savior. Because how can we be transformed by his presence and transformed by his redemption and not take that to the people around us who are in need of his transformation and redemption? We get a heart for his creation, and it should fuel our mission. See, we see him, and then we see ourselves, and we see others, and they're all intertwined. And the more we see him, the more we realize we need him, and the more we realize others need him. And the more it drives us back to seeing him, because we can't do it in our own strength. The great thing is that God doesn't leave Isaiah in that place. He made his lips clean. Verse 6 and 7. And the one, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, that he taken with tongs from the altar, from the place of his presence. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah saw the power of Jesus' redemption. It's a prophetic pointing toward the sacrifice of Jesus. He doesn't leave us in our brokenness. He takes away our guilt and our shame, and he atones or he pays the price for our sins. Grace is not just a one-time transaction. Grace is walking in that redemption every way. Grace is recognizing our need for him and receiving that free gift every day of his righteousness and his freedom and his redemption. He doesn't leave us in that place. And then from that place, God says, who shall we send and who will go for us? Seems like a trick question to me. Have you ever thought about this? Because there wasn't anyone else there. I mean, Isaiah is having a picture, like a, he's having a vision. It's him and the Lord. And he sees the Lord, and he's like, I see his glory. Oh, and the, oh my gosh, woe is me. I, I, I need you. And then, oh, the people around me. And God says, no, I'm not going to leave you in that place. And he sets him free. And then from that place of freedom, he goes, well, who will go for me? Where's Mark? <laughs> it's often our response, though, isn't it? The Lord cries out. Well, yeah, we're worshiping him, and you feel in your heart, who will go? And we go, what? Say, what? I hope Ryan's listening. There wasn't anyone else there, but God still asks. And you know why he asks? He still asks, who will we send? God asks because he chooses to partner with us. God asks because he wants our yes. 
Isaiah could have said no. I've heard some people preach this, and to be honest, I've probably lent toward this in the past, where it's like, it was a true question because, of course, Isaiah had to say yes, because he's seen his glory. No, Isaiah didn't have to say yes. He still had a choice to partner with what God wanted to do. You can say no, and God will ask somebody else. Some of you have said no in your heart. And I implore you this morning to say yes. When we've seen Jesus, when we realize the price that he's paid for us, how can we not tell others? How can we not tell others? And I think sometimes when our response is, I don't know, it's maybe because we haven't had a revelation of who he is. I'm not going to push you for a response that says yes. I want to ask you today, would you pray and ask the Lord to reveal himself to you? Because I think once you've seen his glory, you have to say yes. But he still chooses to partner with us. That's relationship. Yes. Come on, my dude. Yes. And he says, be like little children. For the kingdom belongs to the children. So, you know, I mean, we've got a, I don't know how many people are in here, 150 people, and you guys are all like, and he's like, yes. You can say yes even in the preach. Like, yes, Lord, use me, yes. My heart's response, if I see your glory, is always yes. How can we not, when we've seen his presence, when we've encountered his glory, how can we not rave about Jesus? How can we not go make disciples? How can we not go to the nations? How can we not serve and worship and say yes to him? In Isaiah 60, verse 1, it says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Why do we do this? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says, For the love of Christ compels us. For the love of Christ compels us. When we've seen him and we've encountered him, and we've been set free, and we're full of his love, there's a compulsion that we're like, oh my gosh, I am so undone in your presence, and I'm so thankful that you've taken me from here to here, that you would choose to partner with me, that of course I want to see you more, and of course my heart's cry is yes, I don't know how, but I'm going to say yes to you, I don't know how I'm going to do it, I don't know where the resource is going to come from, I don't have it all, but my heart's cry is yes. We must have an ongoing, continual revelation of Jesus the King. Otherwise, we fall back into our own strength and our own striving. And we can sing all the songs and we can lift our hands and we can do worship nights, but we leave the same. We go because he's gone before us. We worship and lay down our lives because we've seen the king. Would you stand with me this morning? We need a revelation of Jesus the king this morning. I'm going to invite the music team to come back up. I would love us to finish this morning singing that song, Holy Forever. I asked them if they would do that this morning. It's just something beautiful about joining with heaven. Sing holy. 
And I'm going to pray for us this morning, but I actually want to ask you to partner with what God wants to do today. And to ask yourself, ask the Lord yourself, Lord, show me your glory. We pray it often. It's the cry of my heart. But to be honest, you can come with no expectation. I feel like this morning there's a stirring. Would you ask, Lord, let me see you. Jesus, let me see you. Jesus, show us your glory. Lord, the cry of our hearts this morning is that we would see you. We want to say yes, Lord. We want to go to the nations, Lord. We want to be a people of multiplication. We want, to, we want to be those who disciple. But, Lord, first and foremost, before all of this stuff, we want to know you and we want to see you and to be known by you. We don't want to be a people who stand before you and say, but we cast out demons in your name and we prophesied and we did the things and hear you say, I never knew you. So I pray this morning that we would have a fresh revelation of Jesus our King seated upon the throne. The train of your robe fills the temple with glory. Let us see a glimpse of your glory, Lord. Come and fill this place. Come and fill my life. As we worship, as we worship, would you ask, Jesus, let me see your glory. Can we sing this song this morning? this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.